You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. Got your Bible this morning, church. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're working our way through this New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church that was once in Corinth back in the first century. This morning we are in the sixth chapter. Now I know we've had a lot going on this morning, a lot that we have packed into this morning worship service, but uh, this time that we're going to spend together in God's Word is extremely important as well. And so uh, let's take a few moments and walk through this verse. So don't worry. Don't worry if you're worried about time or anything like that. I'm going to move through this passage quickly, and I promise you that we will be out of here before St. Louis Cardinals win another baseball game. I promise you that will happen, all right? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's stand together in honor of our Lord and the reading of His Word to us today. Paul says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous, that is, before the world, before unbelievers, and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? Again, he's talking about outsiders and unbelievers. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. And look at verse 9. So do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived that neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Then look at verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. May the Lord bless his word this morning as we study it together. You may be seated. So if you've been following along in our study of this New Testament letter, you know that the church in Corinth was really messed up, and that is putting it mildly. It was a church that had a lot of problems. And the reason for their problems mainly stemmed from the fact that it was a church where um, there was widespread spiritual immaturity. There was a lack of spiritual depth within this congregation. You had believers in this church who were more carnal than they were spiritual. They were walking more in the flesh than they were the Spirit of God. These are believers who had never moved off of the milk of God's Word and onto the meat of God's Word, and thus they were not growing in their knowledge of Christ nor in their understanding of God's purpose and God's will for their life. They never really understood who they were in Christ up until this point. And because of that, it resulted in major issues within this church, issues that Paul has been dealing with throughout this letter. You had 
strife and contention and division within the church over the silliest of matters. Believers who were divided one another into these little groups splintering the church. And then on top of that, you had uh, a believer in the church who was living in immorality. He was guilty of a sin so great and so severe. It was such, of such wickedness that Paul says even people outside the church, people who are still of the pagan world that surrounds you, can look at this guy and know that what he's doing is wrong. And yet you do nothing about it. Instead of being brokenhearted and grieved over this man's sin, you in, instead seem to boast about it. You seem to pride yourselves in the fact that you're such an open-minded church where anything goes and we just love people. That's all we, we want to do. But you don't deal with the hard issues and you don't deal with the sin that is right there within your midst. And now he gets to chapter 6 and he says, and then on top of that... Here you have believers who are dragging their brothers in Christ into the courts in order that the courts might settle disputes and disagreements among you. This was going on within this church. You had believers dragging each other into court and having unbelieving judges and unbelieving people set over these cases and trying to settle matters between two Christians. And Paul says, this should not be. Now, to be fair, litigation was a part of everyday life in the Corinthian culture. This is how they dealt with things. This is the culture in which they were raised. It was all that they had known up until the moment that they came to faith in Christ. And so when you had a dispute with someone and you couldn't work it out between yourselves, what would you do? Well, you would turn to an arbitrator or you would turn to the courts and you would take your case before a judge and you would let someone else try to settle the matter for you. But the problem is these people were now saved. And even though they were saved, they were still handling their affairs and their business the same way they did before they came to faith in Christ. And so now, even still, you had believers who were in these arguments and disagreements, and rather than working it out, here they go, taking their cases and their matters before the courts so that the unbelieving world could uh, look at these people and really see that there's no difference in these people than in everyone else. And Paul says in verse 1, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? And when he says, dare any of you, it's, it's, it's like saying, how dare you? I mean, how could this be? Why would you? Why would you having a matter against another, against a brother? Why would you drag your problems into the courts in order that your case might be settled by unbelievers? Why would you not work this out between yourselves or at least turn to the church and let the church help you work this out now i want you to notice that paul is not suggesting here that even in the church there will not be times when believers will disagree with one another there will be times when there may be disputes that arise even between two christians fact is as long as we're on this side of heaven that is always going to be a possibility, and that's because of our constant struggle with sin in this world, the constant struggle that we all have with our own flesh and sinful nature. There are going to be times, inevitably, when believers get sideways with one another. Paul's not denying that. 
There may be issues that arise inside the church, even in our business dealings outside the church. You may have believers that come to a point of disagreement where they've got a problem that rises up that causes some division within their relationship. Paul's not denying that, but what he's saying is this. When that happens, shouldn't you be able to work this out among yourselves? And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes, you should be able to do that. And Paul goes on and explains why. In verse 2, he says, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And when he talks about the saints, he's talking about who we are in Christ. He's speaking of the church. And he's saying, don't you know that there's coming a day when the church, when believers are going to judge the world, the whole world? Now, of course, he's talking about the millennial kingdom of Christ. He's talking about when Christ comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth, on the earth and when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus is going to rule and reign over the earth. And the Bible says that we as believers are going to reign with him. We will be with him on the earth and we will have a part, have a place in judging the world with Christ during that time. That's part of our future. He says even beyond that, not only are we going to judge the world someday, we're even going to have part in judging the angels. He says that. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means completely. I don't know that anybody does completely understand what does that look like and what does that mean for us. I just know that the Bible says it and I believe it. That one day believers are going to have a part in judging the angels. We're not going to be angels, by the way, one day. We're not angels. Angels are different altogether. When you die, you don't become an angel as a believer. You are a believer. You're a follower of Jesus. And one day, you're going to sit in judgment over the angels, the Bible says. And so Paul goes on to say, if that's the case, if that's our future, if that's who we are, and that's what our future looks like, then doesn't it make sense that even now, in the present time, believers should be able to work out their problems with one another? Because listen, even now, we have been given everything that we need in Christ to be able to settle our disputes. Think about that. As believers, we all have the Spirit of God living within us. The Holy Spirit of God who's guiding us and directing us. It's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ that brings us together in the church. He gives us love for one another. He's the one that causes us to desire unity with one another. And He also gives us the ability to strive for peace and to strive for unity in the church. Christ in me. Loving the Christ in you. That's the Holy Spirit at work in us. And so he says, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And not only that, you have the Word of God before you. And the Word of God gives us the principles and precepts, the teachings that we need to understand how to navigate through this world, how to settle our affairs and deal with one another in this life, how to work out problems between one another, how to seek resolutions and restoration and reconciliation among our brothers. The Word of God gives us instruction and gives us direction there. Paul is saying, God has given you already what you need to be able to have peace and unity and work things out with one another. Why in the world would you turn to the courts? Why in the world would you drag one another before unbelievers and let the world try to settle your matters? What Paul says is this. He says, this is an utter failure among you. 
And then he goes on to say, you know, it, it would be better, it would be better that you would suffer loss. Or that you might lose out in some way if it would keep from the church having its witness diminished or defamed before an unbelieving world. What Paul is telling us is this. He's telling us that what really matters are not the temporal things of this world, but the eternal things of God. Our rights, our wants, our preferences, our pride is not the, is not the, the main agenda here. But rather it's the will of God and it's the glory of Christ. That life is not about advancing and protecting your kingdom here on earth. It's about advancing His kingdom on the earth. And Paul's whole point here in this passage is that as believers, we should be different. We should be better than this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you should live differently, think differently, act differently, talk differently, respond differently, treat people differently than people who are of this world simply because you are no longer of the world. You are now in Christ, and Christ has made you different. Something's happened that's changed us. Not just in eternity, but even now, and that something is someone, and it's Christ, and it's the grace of God. I'm afraid that truth has gotten lost in our present world. I think Paul was very much fearful that the Corinthians were about to lose this whole idea of Christians being different because of God's grace and because of the salvation they have received in Jesus Christ. Paul feared that what might happen is that believers might begin to uh, profess Christ without demonstrating any real change in their life at all. That people would begin to see Jesus as only their get-out-of-hell-free card. And you know, we, we live in an age where that's exactly where people are in their thinking about salvation, in their thinking about Christ. There are a lot of people who've grown up in church who were told that if you just pray a certain prayer, and you don't even really have to understand what you're praying, but if you'll just repeat these words after me, and you'll pray this prayer, that Jesus will come into your heart, He will save you, and you can, really, you can live the rest of your life knowing that one day when you die, you're going to go to heaven. But there was no mention, no mention of repentance. No mention of turning away from sin in order to turn and to follow Christ. There was no mention of submitting to the authority of Christ as Lord over your life. In fact, in many places, people have been led to believe that knowing Jesus doesn't really need to change anything about your life or how you live. The modern gospel in our world is that Jesus died so that you could just keep living like you always have and you can still go to heaven in the end when you die. But Paul makes it clear that such thinking is not only wrong and deceitful, it is dangerous. It is extremely dangerous. And that's why he gets to verse 9 after talking about all of these things. And it might appear to you on the surface that verse 9 just sort of comes out of nowhere. I mean, he's been talking about believers dragging other believers into the courts, why you can't settle your matters against one another. And then all of a sudden he gets to verse 9 and he drops a bomb. I mean, this is heavyweighty stuff again that Paul is going to dump out on the church to make them think about their own relationship to Christ. But understand that this 
is something that Paul has been referencing and something Paul has been building up to all the way until now in chapter 6. All this junk going on in the church in Corinth, all of this sin, all of this division, all of these disputes that can't be settled is among a group of people who don't appear to be any different than the world in which they live. And Paul says there is something terribly wrong with that. That obviously you have misunderstood the hope and the power of the gospel if that's the way you live. And so he wants to remind them of what the truth of the gospel is all about. And so he gets to verse 9 and here's what he says to them. He says, do you not know? And they should have known. They've heard this before. This is not new. This is something that he said to them when he first came to them and preached the gospel. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous, and the unrighteous here are the unsaved, people who are lost, people who are still in their sins. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Lost people aren't going to heaven unsaved people aren't going to end up in heaven one day they're not and the reason they're not is because they have never put their faith and trust in jesus and what jesus christ has done for them he says do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god and then to be clear he begins to list this catalog of sins that are merely here to give us a picture of what unrighteousness looks like. He's not saying, Lord, if you've done one of these things, well, you're not going to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that this is unrighteous behavior. This is how the unrighteous live. Here's how lost people live. Here's what lost people do. So do not let anybody deceive you that, the, that the, those who are unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So let me remind you of what that looks like. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, uh, nor adulterers, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now I want you to understand that Paul is not suggesting that salvation comes by works. That is not what he's talking about. We're not saved by what we've done, and we're not saved by what we haven't done. Scripture is clear that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is Christ who saves us. But the Bible also teaches that the faith that saves, if you have placed faith in Christ, that your faith in Christ will not be alone. It will be accompanied by good works. In other words, there will be evidence of genuine salvation in your life. And the evidence of that salvation will be the fruit of repentance and righteousness in your life. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. Does it mean that we'll never sin again in this life once we come to faith in Christ? We certainly know that's not true. We know that even as Christians, we still battle temptation. We fight with our own sinful uh, desires and fleshly lust. Sometimes we even fail. We give in to sin. Truth is that any Christian can commit any of the sins that Paul just listed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 if you take your eyes off of Jesus long enough. Your, your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And listen, you're, you're, you're capable of unimaginable evil if you just turn away from the Lord long enough. And that's true for all of us. 
And so what Paul is saying here is this. He's not saying that we will never sin, but, the di- but, but the, he's saying that, that even if we do sin, there's something different about us now. That we, we can no longer sin and enjoy ourselves. We know that when we sin, it's wrong. And there's guilt and there's conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. And we know that that guilt and that conviction that the Holy Spirit places on us when we're out of the will of God and we're walking in sin is something that will linger with us until we repent of our sin and confess it and turn from it. What Paul is referring to here in this passage is an ongoing pattern and lifestyle of sin without conviction, without shame, and without guilt. He says if you're living in an ongoing lifestyle of sin with no regrets, no remorse, no repentance at all, doesn't bother you the things that you're doing in your life that are contrary to God's word and God's will, he says then don't be deceived into thinking that you're going to heaven one day because you're not. And the reason you're not is because you've never been born again. You've never been truly saved. He says, don't let anybody deceive you. There are many in the church who are deceived today. People have lied to them. They've misled them. They've told them that all you do is just pray a prayer, but you don't have to change. You don't have to repent. You don't have to turn from anything. You can just keep living like you've always lived, and it'll all work out in the end for you okay. But that's not what the gospel says. That's not what the New Testament says. And that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying, don't let anybody deceive you. The unrighteous and the unsaved will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he lists all of these sins, and then he gets to verse 11, and this is glorious, and this is great. Paul stops and he says, and of such were some of you. It's not that we in the church are looking down on people who are trapped in in this life and in this lifestyle of sin. To the contrary, we look on them with broken hearts, desiring nothing but their salvation because we can identify with where they are right now lost and out of the will of god and trapped in sin and unable to break free because we were once there did you see that he says and such were some of you he's looking at this church and saying hey listen there's some of you in this church right now who were once fornicators and 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 you were adulterers Some of you were even trapped in the life of homosexuality. Some of you were guilty of other deviant sexual behavior in your life. Some of you were idolaters, worshiping false gods. Some of you were thieves, liars, cheats, drunkards. You were like that. But the key word in the verse is this, and such were some of you. He doesn't say, and such are some of you. He says, and such were some of you. That's who you used to be. But, boy, isn't that a great word? Paul throws that in here. But, it's a small little word in this passage, but it has such power it is a strong word. It emphasizes something that is pivotal. It's a defining moment. Something has changed here. That's who you were, but, but something happened to you. And that something is someone, and his name is Jesus. What happened is that the grace of God got a hold of us. Jesus Christ, in his mercy, reached down and rescued us out of that life of sin. And when he did, what happened to us? You were washed. Now, washing here does not speak of water baptism. 
You need to understand that. Your sins aren't forgiven just because you get in a baptistry or a swimming pool or a pond and you go under and you come out because all water can do is wash the outside of you. And your problem is not what's on the outside of you. Your problem and my problem is what's on the inside of me. The reason I do things outwardly that are wrong is because my heart is wrong. My heart is sinful. But what happens is this, is when Christ saves you, he washes your sin away. And not just as he cleanses you of your sin, but it's the washing of regeneration. He makes you brand new. It's not just that he forgives all of your past, but he comes into your life and he changes your heart. He gives you new desires to live not for yourself, but now to live for his glory. A desire to follow after him that was once not present in your life. And listen, only the blood of Jesus can do this. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away our sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can make us brand new. Only the blood of Jesus can change our life from what we used to be into what God would have us to be. He says you were washed. It speaks of salvation here. The cleansing of the blood of Jesus. He says you were washed and then you were sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart. God set us apart from the world and set us apart unto himself. We're still in the world, but we're no longer of the world. We now belong to God. We're the sons and daughters of God. We're the children of God. And the Holy Spirit of God now lives inside of us. And the Holy Spirit of God, who comes into our life, is doing a work in us to change us from who we used to be into who God would have us to be now in Christ. It's an ongoing work. It's a work that's not finished. It won't be complete until we get to heaven. But it's ongoing right now. And it started the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God came into your life. And he began to change you. Listen, we're not a bunch of people who just found religion. We're not a bunch of people who just turned over a new leaf. We're not a bunch of people who just decided that we needed to do better in life. We are people who who were grabbed and gripped by the grace of God, by the mercy of Jesus Christ, who were born again and made new by the power of his blood. And now what's happened in our life is the result of his spirit who lives in us and abides with us and who is constantly changing us into who Christ would have us to be. We're being sanctified. See, the good news that I can share with anyone and everyone this morning is this, is that you don't have to go get cleaned up and fixed up and prettied up and improve your life and and get things together and then come and then maybe Jesus will take you in. You just come like the broken mess that you are. You come in your sin and you lay your life down before Jesus Christ and you believe and put your faith in what he did for you on the cross and Jesus will save you just as you are, but he won't leave you as you are. The moment you put your faith in him, he begins to change you. And that's what's happening in the church is we're being changed and we're not changing ourselves. God's doing this. God's doing this work in our life. We're being sanctified. And then he says, you were justified. The word justified speaks of our standing before God. God looks upon me now just if I'd never sinned because now I'm clothed in the righteousness of his son and my savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the glorious exchange that took place on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he took your sin upon himself and died for you so that you could be clothed in his righteousness. He took your sin so you could have his righteousness. And so what that means is this, is that now after putting faith in Jesus, you are clothed in the righteousness of God. You are still a work in progress. In, in, in other words, you are not, God's not finished with you yet, and you've not reached that state of glorification. That will happen when you get to heaven. 
But even now, as God is working in your life, you have a position of being justified before God so that when God looks at you, He doesn't see you as a wretched, filthy sinner still covered in sin. He sees you clothed in the righteousness of His Son which is the securing of your salvation because you're not getting to heaven because you're good or because of what you do, because of what you don't do. You're getting to heaven because of what Jesus did. And you're covered in the righteousness of God and you're sealed forever because of him. And the point is, as people who've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, shouldn't we pursue righteous living? Shouldn't we live righteously? Of course we should and we will. If the Spirit of God lives in us. And at the very end of verse 11, here's what he says. He says, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. At the end of this verse, and this is not, listen, every word of Scripture is there for a purpose. You know why he puts this at the end of verse 11? To make sure that every one of us understands that what's happened in our life isn't because of, of, of us. It's because of him. Christ has done this in us. The Spirit of God is doing this in us. We're not just a group of people, again, who decided one day we need to do better. And so we formed this club called the church, and now we're all members of it, and and now we're trying to do our best in order to get ourselves to heaven. That's not what this is. We are people who were filthy and wretched and vile, just like everybody else in the world, but were rescued by the grace of God. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, saved us and washed us in His blood. He made us brand new. He placed His Spirit inside of us. And the Spirit of God is changing us and making us into who God would have us to be in Christ. Listen, we have nothing to boast of. Don't think for a moment you preach a sermon like this and you get to verse 9 and we're looking down on the world and saying to the world, ha, 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 we're better than you. That's not it at all. Listen, listen, what we're saying to the world is that we have just been as bad, we have been as bad or worse than any of you. But thank God for His grace. And what God's grace has done in us, God's grace can do in you. But God won't leave you. If you're saved, God won't leave you the way that you were something will be different and the world needs to see that church the world needs to see that we've got such a glorious listen the world has is so dark right now the darkness of sin in this world is is, is, is so great it's everywhere we have such a glorious opportunity in these days that we're living in to shine the light of Jesus Christ into this world and the hope of the gospel, to share that with people everywhere. And people are searching and they're looking for something that they have not yet found because what the world offers doesn't work. It will never work. But Jesus can change your life. And we, the church, need to communicate that message, not just with what we say, but in how we live every day. And that's the point Paul is making. If you're saved, it should show. You should be different. Because Christ now lives in you. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. And you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Amen and amen. If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org.